In this episode, we speak with Joanne Yuan of Turn River Capital, a leading technology growth equity and buyout firm that specializes in buyouts, spinouts, growth capital and investments, founder liquidity, and recapitalizations of technology, web, and SaaS companies. Based in San Francisco, the firm is highly effective in rapidly scaling operations. With deep expertise in sales, marketing, customer success, and finance, its team acts like a software company. They adapt Silicon Valley's best modern software growth tactics to companies everywhere, carving a path for capital-efficient growth without compromises. Joanne is a partner at Turn River. Growing up, she spent most weekends selling parts at computer trade shows, helping her dad run his one-man shop. That's how she experienced firsthand the challenges bootstrap companies face and the resiliency of their leaders. Joanne has invested in software from pre-launch to post-IPO and worked everywhere from seed stage venture to Google. Joanne was selected as one of GrowthCap's top women leaders in growth investing of 2023. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. If you like the episode, click to subscribe. RJ Lumba is the managing partner of GrowthCap and the executive chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Joanne, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's a delight to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. Nice to be here, RJ. Where I'd like to start is Turn River and Dom, because the firm is very unique in how it's structured organizationally and what its strategy is, is very different from other growth-focused, tech-focused private capital firms out there. So maybe to set the stage, if you could tell us a little bit about the background and history of Turn River. Yeah, absolutely. So... Turn River was founded at this point a little over a decade ago. And exactly right, you know, I think Dominic, our founder, really picked up on this trend that was emerging within B2B software. And namely that, you know, because of cloud infrastructure, APIs, you know, the fact that you had much more remote workforces and development that could be anywhere in the world, the cost of founding and scaling software companies was just coming dramatically down. And that meant that more and more software companies were showing up you know, outside of the traditional pools of capital and, and geographies. But, you know, when we looked out at the landscape of investors and, and capital at the time to support this new generation of B2B software companies, it was really a little bit bifurcated. And to be honest, that's actually where a little bit of my own background comes in, because even though I had more of a traditional start doing M&A investment banking at Morgan Stanley and in bookending really my investing career between large cap institutional private equity at Hellman and Friedman, all the way to seed stage venture capital at Cowboy Ventures, what I saw on the ground was that on the one hand, a lot of times you had venture capitalists investing in software companies, here's a sack of money, burn for growth, see you in a quarter. But on the other hand, a lot of these larger institutional, more established private equity firms were really thinking of software companies more in the traditional sense. So, you know, large scale on-premises deployments, huge implementation periods, you know, interesting businesses in their own right, but very different from the modern and nimble SaaS companies that were really emerging that I started seeing in venture. And so Turn River recognized that as well. And we realized that in order to build an investment firm that could really meet this new generation of software companies, we had to look more like a software company ourselves. 
And so today we're about 70 people and we're about, you know, equal parts operators versus investors. And these operators look a little bit different than a typical private equity operating group. You've got people who are mid-career professionals that literally have spent their entire careers specialized around different parts of software go-to-market. So whether it's the former head of search engine optimization from Zendesk or the former head of customer success and retention at Atlassian or Rapid7 or the former head of channel sales at VMware and Microsoft. They're all full-time employees at Turn River that then work side-by-side -side with the heads of marketing, sales, customer success at the various software companies. In this way, I think we've been able to very tactically identify areas to optimize in a software company's go-to-market. And that's why I think our firm has been architected a little bit differently than previous generations of more growth-oriented private equity firms, right? You really had that first wave of more financial engineering. So people who were using structure, leverage, earn their returns. Now in the second wave, I think there's a lot of really great large firms today that are built on what we call cost engineering. So, you know, buy and build platforms, being able to reduce costs very specifically to get to a good pro forma EBITDA. But I think where Turn River fits is where we think many, many more growth-oriented investing firms will have to be in the future, what we call growth engineering. You know, that's not just growth capital to help a company do more of what they're doing, but rather much more of these specific tactics in marketing and sales to help them grow with a lot more certainty. So that was our vision. And, you know, today I think we've kind of grown into the firm that we are. You know, I wonder, because a lot of investment firms will talk about how they add operational strategy and capability, but Turn River is, I think, in a league of its own in terms of its ability to really drop into a company and rapidly scale the business because of the folks you have on your team. There is a distinction. I wonder, do you think LPs and CEOs get that or they still see it as part of this kind of on a scale of growth firms of like ones that say they do the operations, ones that do have operational capabilities. And then there's like Turn River that really can dial it up. Do you think others get it out there? Yeah, yeah. I think that's the eternal struggle, right? Because certainly on an outbound email or something, I think a lot of firms look very similar because everyone's always asking CEOs and, and founders whether they want some growth capital and expertise, right? Uh, or some liquidity capital. But I think where we really shine is once... LPs or company CEOs have the opportunity to engage with us, either in even just an initial conversation or, you know, joining one of our webinars or one of our in-person events, they start to see that the level of depth with which we can talk about companies and talk about driving growth is just very, very different than, you know, other types of investors. And it's as granular as, okay, let's say you're a software company trying to do a transition from perpetual and maintenance licensing to subscription. That's something we've done, you know, a dozen times within our portfolio in the past. We have the specifics, not only around the data segmentation of, you know, is your customers in these specific geographies with these contract sizes, whether they came direct or through channel, based on what the baseline gross retention rate of that initial cohort was, benchmarked to how different your price is relative to your competitors, we know that actually this is the type of price increase you might be able to ask that company for with this trade-off in churn or, or downgrade. And so it gives us a lot more certainty to be able to come to the table to these companies with, oh, here's our tried and true tested database that, by the way, is live because we're always running you know, different tweaks and optimizations. And that's just on the price increase, right? Okay, now we actually have the scripts 
around, okay, how far in advance do your customer success team need to reach out to companies on this type of messaging? We have the air cover from the messaging marketing folks on what kind of process do you need to run so that then you can convey a much better story of your product roadmap to be able to get a price increase so customers feel like they're getting more for the money. But all of that really interweaves to a lot of specifics that I think companies and also LPs really appreciate. And is this strategy still applicable to larger software companies? Or do you find that there's a sweet spot in terms of the level of revenue a company has that's truly applicable to your strategy? Yeah, yeah. This is a really great question. You know, we're on our fifth fund now, and all of our funds have really stepped up in size over time. And a big part of that was we actually found that we haven't yet reached the efficient frontier of how well these playbooks can work. You know, our largest investments in each fund have tended to be our best performing ones, and that it takes just as much time and effort to do, you know, one of these subscription transitions for a $5 million company as a $50 million or $200 million company. And so I think with that, we've been able to kind of scale over time a lot of the applicability of our playbooks. But because we will do add-on acquisitions for our platforms, we haven't necessarily left some of the smaller companies behind and those opportunities to do and run those very same playbooks but with just a little bit more operating leverage. I think this is a great question because a lot of times folks will ask, well, you know, if a company is already even a few hundred million, wouldn't they have already optimized a lot of these pieces, right? You're kind of getting the best and the brightest. And I think that, you know, sometimes actually the larger a company is, the more a lot of these like stick to the knitting, really optimize, like, here's how you're going to make sure that all the responses are going to go out to a company within a certain time frame, right? The more you grow, the faster you grow, a lot of times it can get a little bit messier. And so actually we find that some of the biggest opportunities happen with larger companies because they haven't had a chance to really focus on the details or have it run through a single person like a much smaller company. Like a good example of that would be one of the take privates that we did last year, Tufin. This was a large cybersecurity software company. It had been run, even as a public company, by its original founder. And as a result of its long history, there were just a lot of decisions made on the go-to-market side that had never really been revisited, right, since it had grown so quickly and had such a stellar journey. One thing was that the sales team was getting compensated equally for new sales as for renewals. And so again, you know, we have a whole playbook around, well, how do you structure sales compensation and incentives to really be able to optimize for maximum growth? And by even making some of those changes, we really started to see good momentum on both sides of the house. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, as Turn River has grown itself, what is the culture like? You mentioned the 70 professionals there. Tell us about kind of the work environment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Having had the privilege of spending time in a few different investment firms, large and small, I think Turnover's culture to me feels especially unique. And it feels honestly more like a fast-growing software company than a typical investment firm. Even visiting our offices, no one has their own corralled off office. We all sit kind of trading floor style in one giant room. And I think it's really to facilitate, I think, one of the core tenets of our culture, which is collaboration. I mentioned this, you know, even split between operators and investors, and it really relies on, I think, that communication, building companies together side by side. I think with every company we work with, there's probably, call it 10, 12 people across investment and ops that are touching the company in some way across the different pieces of the company's departments. And so that requires that really great collaboration, communication, but then also uniquely, I think every single person on the team really loves learning and continuing to iterate and optimize. And I think that's what's allowed our kind of playbook of growth to continue to evolve even um, over the course of the last decade of our history. 
And your role has, it seems, has kind of expanded dramatically. Uh, you have a leadership position. You co-lead investments. How does it play out in terms of you're the one of the key decision makers, I think, yeah. before you can proceed ahead with an investment? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's been really fun how the role has evolved over time. Obviously, I joined about seven years ago when we were probably a little more than 10 people. And, you know, there you kind of had to wear a lot of different hats and primarily also more of a single player mode. But I think over time, that's really stepped up as our team has grown to encompass a lot of things like the hiring and training, still leading deals and actively working with my portfolio, but then also really coaching and mentoring all the folks that are leading, you know, other companies within our portfolio. And so, you know, in terms of how investment decisions are made, I would say that it's in the same spirit as Turnover's culture in general, which is very open and collaborative and communicative. So, you know, on a weekly basis, everyone on the investment team has a lens into all of the deals that are kind of moving through our pipeline where we can have an open discussion. And once a deal is actually signed into exclusivity, it's very much a 50-50 collaboration between the investment team and the operations team that's going to be working at that company, where, you know, the specificity of saying, you know, Danny, our VP of paid marketing is now in that exclusivity phase, working with the head of marketing at our target company on, well, what keywords are you bidding on and what software review sites and, you know, what's the strategy there? And then feeding those assumptions on what we would change in what time frame to yield what results back to the folks on the investment team to do a much more granular bottoms up modeling and planning. And that gets to, I think, your earlier question too, of like, you know, how we kind of then end up getting involved once we're invested, because we end up already having that playbook for growth built in from even that diligence and decision-making phase. Yeah. Is that a prerequisite that the strategy you would employ is already thought through before you even commit to invest? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. So, you know, I think like all great growth investors out there and private equity investors will do the typical kind of product, market, technical, finance due diligence when we're looking at a company. But I think that for us, we're much more focused after those boxes are checked on what are the operational growth tactics that we can help the company change in that level of specificity, like the search terms that they're using to do their paid marketing, or the text that they're using on specific landing pages, or what are even the landing pages to build, and what kind of messaging are they using. And what's kind of great about that is we found that, you know, CEOs and company builders and boards, that's actually the stuff that they really care about, right? Because in the day-to-day, -day, they're thinking about how do I grow my company faster? We've even had a lot of instances where before a deal closes, the company's already made some of those changes that we've been highlighting in the plan, which, you know, is great, right? We can start off on a really great fast footing. So do you find yourself competing against other growth-focused firms? I, I just view your value proposition to be so different than other firms. So I'm curious if you find yourselves going head-to-head -head with other firms. Yeah, yeah. It's a great question. And I think that it's on both ends, right? On the one hand, I would say that in this category, right, growth investing in software companies, there's probably unlimited competitors, right? There's a lot of capital out there, a lot of great firms, a lot of really smart people. And I think that the biggest competitor sometimes, especially for bootstrap companies, is just inertia, not doing anything, right? They've spent decades not taking outside capital. But I do think that the lens that we have that allows us to filter in for the types of companies that others might filter out for is pretty unique. So, you know, if you've got a software company that's growing quickly, profitable, great retention, great management team, I mean, that's awesome. And I think there's going to be a line out the door of interested parties to partner and work with that software company. I think for us, even though we do have playbooks that can help that company grow even faster, I think where there's more alpha to be had, right, if you're kind of putting on more of an LP hat, 
is with companies where the product and the market are sound, but maybe the go-to-market area isn't quite best in class yet, right? Maybe the gross retention is just a tick below where everyone's super excited, but it's fixable with a lot of the detailed playbooks that we know how to do. Or maybe it's because the software isn't 100% recurring yet. Or maybe it's because, you know, they don't really have an established North American go-to-market team. I think those are the areas that we can be especially helpful. And so we're able to invest in companies at fair, reasonable valuations, but then over the course of three to five years of working together, really transform these businesses into rule of 60, 70, 80, 100 type companies and be able to realize some really incredible valuation multiples on the back end, in addition to the fact that you know our companies have quadrupled in size organically. So I think because of that, our lens tends to lead itself to more proprietary type deals. Actually, over 80% of the deals that we work on are proprietary. And I think it's because, you know, others are just less interested in this shape of business. It is a lot of work, but I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to make money. And this is the strategy and the approach that we're most excited about. And for some of the CEOs in our audience, just can you touch on the 70 to 100 rule? Yeah, yeah, of course. So in software valuations, and I believe they start out in the public markets as well, the growth rate of a business, so your revenue growth rate plus your profitability, so your percentage profitability, it tends to be a number. And when they did a study, they found that companies that were rule of 40, so you know whether it was 20% growth and 20% profitability or 40% growth and break-even profitability, those tended to up having you know higher valuations by investors and by the market at large. And so applying that rule to companies of all sizes and private companies, you know, for us to be able to take businesses that you know, start out more like rule of 5, 10, 15, 20, but then over the course of our time together, take them to 25% growth and 50% EBITDA margins, 60% growth and 30% EBITDA margins. I mean, these are all kind of real historical stats. I think that's what's allowed us to get a lot of benefit when we end up exiting the businesses down the line. Before we hopped on this call and I was looking at your background and, and how you've moved kind of in sequence through premier institutions in the financial and investing space, I thought, you know, this is a person that I think just gets it. You kind of go into your role, you understand it, you master it, and then you move to the next. I'm curious how you and Dom cross paths. And then I have a second part to it, but let's start there. I feel like in a very canonical TR style way of meeting, I actually cold outreached to Dominic. And so at the time I was working as an associate partner at a venture capital firm. And, you know, was starting to see more and more software companies within our own venture portfolio that had reached, you know, a certain amount of scale, call it 10, 15, 20 plus million of revenue, but they weren't growing 100% year over year anymore. And it became really hard for those companies to raise another venture capital round. And in that time, you know, they had done the prudent thing and had gotten to break even or maybe a little bit profitable, but now they were growing even slower. But, you know, recognizing from my private equity background before then, I was like, wow, here's the software business of moderate scale that's growing, call it 15% and profitable. Certainly there should be investors that want to do something with it, but it's not really going to be a VC because in a portfolio model for a VC, if they're not going to 10X the fund, it's going to be hard to justify spending time on them. And so as that was percolating in the back of my mind, I came across Turn River while doing diligence and research on a different investment. 
And, you know, it was a weird name, right? There's a slash in it. And so, you know, I clicked in on the website and I was like, okay, like, you know, what's this all about? And even the website really struck me as a lot of those types of realizations that I had lived myself, right? It's not quite venture. It's not quite private equity. It really felt like, and more importantly, it felt like the team was structured more like a software company, which always made sense to me in terms of how you're truly going to add value to companies and to businesses for growth. And so I was like, all right, well, who dreamed this up, right? And I found Dominic on LinkedIn. I sent him a LinkedIn message. He was kind enough to take a coffee chat with me. I think in those early years, we were in a WeWork office for the first seven years of Turn River. And, you know, the rest is history. I think I was just so excited by the vision he was painting of what he eventually wanted to build, even in those early days. And it's been really cool in the, you know, seven years since to see part of that materialize. That's great to hear. And I'm, I'm glad you did the most efficient path, which was just to reach out I had learned about Dom actually from other GPs who were investing in Dom. They were already software investors, but they were like, this guy's the real deal. We invest in him. You know, so that's how I came yeah. to know him years ago. And I'm glad to see that he's been so successful ever yeah, since. Yeah, I was going to say that, um, you know, a lot of software investors, software companies and LPs that traditionally focus on other types of software, they say that to us often too, because they actually see our approach, even though we are focused on B2B software, as not necessarily counter-cyclical to the software cycle, but actually a strategy that works well, regardless of what kind of market cycle we're in. Because we have the operations muscle, it doesn't require only on growth momentum of a business that's historically been growing 50 or 60%. When times slow down, right, when pipeline slows down, when deal cycles elongate, we have the muscle and the new playbooks and different playbooks to help companies course correct and be able to drive growth in a more capital efficient way. And I think that's why other folks that have other software funds have felt like, oh, wow, this is actually a way to almost hedge while still getting the benefit of technology and software. The other part of my question was, what's next for you? And maybe that plays into the overall vision for Turn River. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think throughout our history, we've continued to really stick to our knitting, right? You know, applying and growing out our different playbooks. In the earliest days, we only had enough funding to really have a single marketing leader, right? Or a single sales leader. And I think over time, our operating team has continued to scale and look continually more and more like a specialized software company, right? What used to be just one person in charge of all things sales, sales tactics, sales conversion, sales processes, sales hiring. Now you can have someone just focused on the inbound sales, just focused on more outbound enterprise sales, just focused on more of the sales messaging, the sales training. And so, you know, I think as we continue to scale, we'll continue to pick those highest leverage points that our operating playbooks can really um, help drive impact in a short period of time for our companies and create more specialized roles and playbooks for that. We're coming up on time. I have two final questions that I always ask during these interviews. One is, can you tell us about a person who has had a profound influence on you? Without a doubt, this would have to be my husband. And so my husband, oh my gosh, I think we met probably 12, 13 years ago. And, you know, at the time I was in private equity and he had just left his job as an engineer and was just starting to tinker with building different companies and software ideas. The iPhone had really kind of launched and had more of an app store. And he was just really excited to kind of build and try his luck there. I think I saw his way through seven or eight different moderately to not that successful ideas. But, you know, then he eventually built 
a venture backed software company that today is about 700 people. And so I think it's been amazing to kind of follow his journey as an entrepreneur, as a founder, but then also to kind of get that type of support as someone who's also very career oriented and focused and just, you know, I think always a big believer and champion in the things that I want to build and the things that I'm excited about. And especially now we've got, you know, two babies at home. It's been really great to kind of see a new role in his life as dad. And uh, I think, you know, I definitely couldn't be here without his support. It sounds like a true kind of 50-50 partnership. You're both career-oriented as well as taking care of the family. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a little bit chaotic at home, but uh, a good kind of chaos. Last question. Can you tell us about a, a charity cause or other endeavor that you're passionate about? Yeah, definitely. So I've always been a really big champion of just more women in investing. In the early parts of my career, there were points where I was you know, literally the only woman investment professional in North America. And so I think, you know, we've come a long way at a lot of different firms on that front. But I think something that that's always been really important to me is making sure that we're supporting women coming into investing, being interested in investing, and then continuing to flourish and develop into senior investors at firms. And so to that end, for myself, I have a few friends from grad school that are all women in private equity and growth investing. And, you know, we've kind of formed not only a friend group, but also an event series and a way to bring more women of all levels together. Right now, primarily focused around the Bay Area, but we've been able to get, you know, hundreds of folks to kind of attend these types of, you know, events. And I think the goal is to really be able to establish more of these mentorship and soft ties. Even through some of these events, I was able to meet, you know, a couple partners at other private equity firms that recently had had children themselves. And so, you know, to be able to compare notes and trade notes on things, everything even outside of investing was great. I'm sure there's lots of pieces of advice that you share in these events. Is there one key insight you could share with maybe, you know, women working now in, in more of the entry or junior level ranks? I think the biggest thing for me throughout my career in choosing where to work as well is finding the kind of place where you can be yourself. In a lot of more institutional cultures and environments, I think a lot of women are told to change their own personalities and how they're communicating and how often they're communicating and all these things. And I feel like finally, there's firms and cultures that recognize that, yeah, you're allowed to have your own personality and you don't have to just adhere to what the majority or, you know, what a lot of other people are seeing and doing. And I think that's honestly, truly one of the biggest joys of building a firm like Turn River. Excellent. That's a great note to end on. Well, Joanne, thank you so much again for taking the time. I know our audience will find this very insightful. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me, RJ. I really enjoyed the conversation. 